Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso and special VIP co-hosts. Join in on a great conversation today with one of the world's great influencers as they showcase the latest tricks and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso and his co-host. Welcome to the Spotlight. I'm your host, Tony D'Urso, flying solo today. You are listening to the Spotlight, where we focus on highlighting Hollywood stars, sports greats, and game changers. If you're a fit, we want your interview on the Spotlight. We broadcast every Friday at 1 p.m., so please set your calendar to hear from the world's elite. And you can catch every episode of the Spotlight on my mobile app. Just go to tonydurso.com slash mobile from your smart device or cell phone. And once it loads, past episodes of the Spotlight will automatically appear in column one. And column two is my other weekly show highlighting elite entrepreneurs called Revenue Chat. All right. Today we set the stage for the Spotlight to chat with author, mediator, and peacemaker, Douglas Knoll. And for our audience, Douglas Knoll, he's an award-winning author of three books, a teacher, speaker, and a trainer. His fourth book, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less, is being released by Beyond Words and Simon & Schuster just any day now. Just go ahead and check and we'll tell you how to find out about that in just a moment. But a little bit more on Doug is he's a lawyer turned peacemaker. And he believes, not, not that he believes, but his calling is to serve humanity, which he executes at many levels. And he says his work carries him into many dark places. And I got to find out about a little bit more about that. Also, he uses pragmatic and practical skills of peace, which is incredible. And he helps people resolve deep interpersonal and ideological conflicts world really needs more people like this. Welcome to the Spotlight, Doug. Hey, Tony, it's great to be here. Doug, it's our honor to have you join us, and I really appreciate you taking the time from helping so many people around the world and taking the time to join us today on the Spotlight. Thank you so much. Sure. Now, first things first, Doug, I'd like to know, how did it all start for you, please? Well, like um, many people of my generation, I... Uh, I went to Dartmouth College, and which is a liberal arts school, and back in the late 60s and early 70s, if you didn't know what you wanted to do, you decided to go to law school. So that's what I did. I, after graduating from college, I entered law school and then graduated in 1977 and passed the California bar. I clerked for a year for an appellate judge in California and then went into private practice as a brand new associate at a firm in Central California. And that firm groomed me to be a trial lawyer. In fact, I joined the firm in September of 1978 and tried my first jury trial in November of 1978. So I was on the fast track. For the next 22 years, I tried cases all over the United States and uh, of all different kinds, large, usually large, complex commercial cases and federal court, state court, arbitrations, administrative hearings, you name it, contested hearings of any kind, I did it. Along the way, I started studying the martial arts, and eventually I was awarded my second degree black belt, and my teacher called me in afterwards and said, you're done here. I'm not teaching you anymore until you master Tai Chi, because you are arrogant, 
and you're dangerous, which was <laughs> true. <laughs> so uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was sort of a death sentence because you never really master Tai Chi. So anyways, I started studying Tai Chi, and Tai Chi has two very interesting paradoxes. The first is the softer you are, the stronger you are. And the second is the more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. Soft to be strong, vulnerable to be powerful. Did not compute. Um, but I kept studying and studying and studying. And finally, one day I was in the courtroom some years later and I was cross-examining somebody and the thought came to me, what the heck am I doing in here? So after that trial, I had a long vacation plan and with a bunch of friends, went up to Idaho and ran the Maine salmon, a 10-day river trip. And on that trip, I s spent the time in my raft just thinking about how many people I'd really served as a trial lawyer and concluded that I hadn't served that many people, despite the fact that I'd done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases. Uh, so when I got back, I was coming, I live up in the mountains uh, south of Yosemite, and I was coming down into town to my office, and I heard a public service announcement for a new master's degree program in peacemaking and conflict studies being offered at Fresno Pacific University, which is the West Coast Mennonite University. And as you may know, the Mennonites are one of the three traditional peace churches of the Protestant tradition in, in the Christian faith. So that got my attention. And I was not a Mennonite, but I was sort of interested in that idea. So I went down and talked to him, and eventually I enrolled and became a full-time master's student. And for the next three years, I was a master's student and about a three-quarters full-time law professor and a full-time trial lawyer. So it was a pretty interesting, challenging time. But, but what was amazing to me was in my master's studies, my teachers opened my eyes up to the nature of human conflict. And I began to see why people did not like lawyers and why people, why the legal system was held in fairly low repute, even though it's one of the most essential forms of our dem democracy and having a free and open judicial system is critical. But, but, the, but too many people were bringing conflicts to the legal system that didn't belong there. Because there was no other way for people to get their conflicts resolved, they thought, other than by hiring a junkyard lawyer to represent them. And I learned that there were a whole bunch of other ways to resolve conflicts, none of which required that. Uh, and if we could avoid the pain of trial, then that would be a good thing. So ultimately, I left a very successful trial practice in 2000 and opened up my own peacemaking and mediation practice. And I've been doing that work ever since. I... Um, pro probably what, I mean, I've done some, just some amazing stuff since then. And I stumbled on the, my first experience in de-escalation was in a mediation in Santa Barbara, California in 2004, where I had this couple that were suing each other. They'd been formerly married and the dispute was over $18,000 and they'd spent $50,000 in attorney's fees. I mean, it was just classic. And I got them in got them in the room at a table and they weren't, couldn't even talk to each other for 30 seconds before they were screaming obscenities at each other. And I didn't know what to do. So out of the blue, this idea came to me, um, emotions. So I had them, I, I, I will call them Susan and John. I looked at Susan, I said, Susan, stop. All I want you to do is just tell me what you think John is feeling right now. And she struggled with that for a few minutes, but finally she got it. And so John would started telling his story and the obscenity stopped. And Susan focused on his emotions, reflected back to him what his feelings were. When she got it right, he continued, and we just went very slowly. Then 
I switched roles. I had John listen to Susan's feelings as she told her story. And I basically told him, ignore the words. All you're doing here is listening to the feelings. And after they were done, John put his hands on his face in his hands and he started sobbing. Oh, and so we wow. just sort of sat there in 10 or 10 or 15 seconds, 30 seconds. He finally recovered and he looked up and he looked up and at Susan with these big eyes and said, that's the first time you've listened to me in 25 years. Wow. And they settled the case in five minutes. Oh, I walked out saying, what the hell just happened? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I had no idea what had happened. So fast forward to 2007 and I ran across a, a uh, academic study done by neuroscientist Matthew Lieberman at UCLA where he brain scanned people using the techniques that I'd stumbled across in this mediation. And his, his study, his scanning study, showed how the human brain responds to this process known as affect labeling and why it responds this way. Answered all my questions. So the light bulbs went on and so I started developing ways of using this in my professional practice and teaching other people, other mediators especially, how to calm people down. And then in 2009, my colleague Laurel Copper, a friend of mine from Los Angeles, called me and read a letter to me from a woman serving a life sentence without possibility of parole at what was then the largest, most violent women's prison in the world. And she was asking us to come in and teach the women, the lifers, how to mediate and stop violence because they were tired of it. So we talked about it and said, why don't we give this a try? And I thought to myself, wow, if I could take these de-escalation de skills I've been using and teach murderers how to de-escalate violence in prison, I mean, that's the acid test. So that's exactly what we did. And to our surprise, it worked. It worked so well that today we're in nine prisons in California and we have a colleague doing the project in nine prisons in Greece. And uh, we have taught thousands of inmates how to de-escalate violent situations using the skills that I developed. And, and so, of course, the inmates would come up to me over the years and say, if I had had these skills 20 years ago, I wouldn't be in prison right now. And finally, my dim little 50-watt light bulb of a brain went on and said, gee, maybe I should write a book about this. Maybe I should take this outside of prison. And these are skills that maybe could help a lot of people. And if I could keep one kid from going to prison because mom or dad knew how to listen to that kid, then that would be a good thing. So that's how it started, and that's where I am today. Wow, what an amazing story, Doug. Thanks for sharing all that. And we have several points of commonality here. I thought I'd mention a couple of things to bring greater reality. First of all, Yosemite is one of my favorite places on Earth. I can't go there enough. I love that area. Just so beautiful and tranquil. Mammoth as well. Great area. Just love it. But well... You're lucky you haven't been up here in the last couple of weeks because it's been just thronged with fires. Really oh, bad I know. Fires. I know. Yeah. It's sad. I know. I know. And another thing that's very, very interesting is our martial arts roots. Ah. I I studied under the, the well-known Billy Blanks and his daughter in Taekwondo, Shelly's daughter, Shelly, and studied with them for quite a while. And then I went on to do Kung Fu with six-degree black belt John McCracken. He was a tri-state champion. And... I never, I never figured out why I stopped doing Kung Fu, but it, you just, you, you reminded me of it. It was when he taught me Tai Chi. To me, it was the most boring thing in the world. Uh -huh. <laughs> I felt, I felt it was nothing to master. I got it. I did it. It was like, okay. And for whatever reason, I just stopped doing that. I later on went into mixed martial arts and all sorts okay. of other stuff, but I stopped Kung Fu and I was like, 
Tai Chi was just so boring. Maybe I was arrogant. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I, uh, you don't see many young people doing Tai Chi. Um, it takes an enormous amount of concentration. And what most people don't realize, that first of all, Tai Chi is the oldest of all martial arts. All martial arts come from Tai Chi, and Tai Chi is also extremely violent. Um, it doesn't seem that way because it's practiced very, very slowly. But every single move in Tai Chi is a killing blow. And I mean, it's, it's, it, it's impressively aggressive when it's speeded up. But yeah, it does. It takes a lot of discipline, and it takes a certain maturity to be able to, for example, I mean, to do the long form, the Yang long form, it's 22 minutes. And that's a lot of concentration for 22 minutes to, to work through the whole kata. True. So, I never, I never did all the katas with it. I just thought, okay, this is this is not what I wanted to do. <laughs> but I did want to, I did want to do something which I rarely do. I mean, I tell little snippets about myself and my experience, but I rarely tell little stories. And I, and I've got a story in mind that really fits our subject matter. And I wanted to tell the story, and then we can t talk about it. We're talking. Sure. The story is about de-escalating a, a near-violent situation. And thank you. Yeah, let me, let me tell it. To, to start with, I have a manuscript, a book ready to go, and the title is called Rise Above Fair, an Old School Common Sense Approach. It's on my website. Just waiting for the right deal and the right publisher. Now, I had stories in the book, personal life stories, but I took them out because my wife didn't want someone to try some of them and then wind up getting hurt. She just didn't want to say, hey, you know, oh, Tony can do that. Let me try it. You know, you know, I talk about going up to bikers and all sorts of stuff. Uh -huh. So we just took that out. But here's a short one. This is the spotlight with Tony D'Urso. Just ahead, we continue the chat with author, mediator, and peacemaker, Douglas Knoll. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Is it true that a majority of new businesses fail? Check this out. In order to have a successful growing business, there are some vital points that you must know. You must have worked them out thoroughly. They must be synchronized with each other and all employees, consultants, and companies that you depend on must know these items and be in agreement with them if your new business is to meet with a high percentage of success. Get it free. The Vision Map, Beat the Odds for Business Success at TonyDurso.com slash vision. Learn how to establish your vision, purpose, long-term objective, and master plan, including strategic and tactical planning. Get the Vision Map, Beat the Odds for Business Success at TonyDurso.com slash vision, V-I-S-I-O-N. The Dream Business Community wants to help you with your career and business. Are you ready for accelerated success? Check it out. The Dream Business Community at TonyDurso.com slash community. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. 
Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste, and Freshly delivers to my home and my office, so I eat healthy all day, every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. You're listening to The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso and a special VIP co-host. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyDurso.com. Now, back to The Spotlight. All right, we're back with Tony D'Urso on The Spotlight. Today's show is with author, mediator, and peacemaker, Douglas Knoll. Doug is also the award-winning author of Elusive Peace, How Modern Diplomatic Strategies Could Better Resolve World Conflicts, and is listed as one of the best lawyers in America since 2005 by U.S. News and World Report. All right, and now back to the chat with Doug. Some Several years back, not, you know, several years plus several years back, friend and I, well, we were going to take our wives out to a nearby restaurant that had a live blues concert going on that evening. And it was across the street from where I work. So we're waiting for our wives to arrive. We're up in my office. And when she arrived, my wife, she called on the cell phone that there was a problem with the security guard in the front lobby. And I could hear arguments through her cell phone. My wife was really upset and she asked me to hurry down. So I, I rushed down to the main building lobby And upon entering the lobby, I was barraged with yelling and upset communications by the building security guard toward my wife and I. He was going absolutely local, red face and everything. It seemed that my wife innocently parked her Mercedes in the empty visitor parking lot for the bank downstairs. The bank was closed. She parked in the empty lot. And that was the only parking available anywhere for blocks and blocks. Well, the security guard felt no one should park there because the bank was closed and that's his job, I guess. And regardless of the day or of the time or the day. So, and I presume that meant a lot to him because he was ready to go ballistic on my wife and he demanded that she remove her car from the premises forthwith. So I walked up to the guard and then he started directing his yelling at me and he was blaming me voraciously for telling my wife to park there, and he was going to go crazy on me, I could tell. He was bigger than I, he was taller than I, and when someone is standing there that's especially bigger and taller than you, and they're yelling and yelling, and their face is getting all red, it makes them seem a lot bigger. Right. And he had one hand on his weapon, which I think was like mace, and he had the other hand on his utility belt near his baton. Well, What I did, and I don't advise people to do this until you really know what you're doing, but I walked up there, literally walked up right up to him. I didn't, like, not two inches from his face, but close enough. I stood there, and I listened to everything he said. And 
I, and I don't think a, a normal person would do that. They'd yell back because he was insulting, mean, and vulgar. But you know, believe it or not, that thought never crossed my mind. I really thought at one point he was going to whip out that the baton and just start hitting me. But I just stood there and I just, and then when he was all done, had nothing more to say, nothing more, I calmly told him, you know, that my wife parked in the this, in this spot, the parking lot is empty, the bank is closed. I pointed across the street. I said, we're just going over there for dinner and we'll be right back. And the whole, his whole mindset and mood just started to change. His face became back to normal. He calmed down. He actually began smiling. And then he actually even laughed a little. And then, believe it or not, he asked me to ask my wife if she would park her spot as at the closest spot to the security station so that he could personally keep an eye on her car while we went across the street to have dinner. <laughs> my, I, I, do, I used to do a lot of those things. My friend called it doing a Tony. <laughs> but I just consider, you know, I'm just above fear. I don't get afraid or intimidated by those. Right. And I look at them pragmatically. Now, you have a book coming out any day now or could be out by now called De-Escalate. So I'd like to now... Turn this over to you, and let's let's analyze this. Okay, so first of all, I mean, you and I have martial arts training, and so you're right. Unless you have unless you have that kind of skill, it's not something that I would recommend. But you did exactly the right thing. Uh, now, now we could actually have shortened that whole process by by a, a couple of minutes using the skills that I've developed. But the most important thing you did was to stand there and just let him go through his emotional state, and the, what. You intuitively recognized, if you didn't see it already, is that emotions are waves. And anger is a wave, and it will start low, and it'll crest like a wave, and it'll come to a peak of intensity. And then when it hits that intensity, it'll start to fall off on the other side. And that wave usually lasts three to five minutes. Now, we can, we can shortcut that down to about 30 seconds if you do three simple things. And this is what I, in addition to what you did, this is what I would have done. The first thing is ignore the words, which you did, and that was great. The second thing is that I would listen to his emotions. I would guess at what his emotional experience was. And just listening to the story, the emotions that I hear there are anger. I also hear disrespect. I also hear some fear and anxiety over because he's maybe not doing his job. And there might even be deeper issues that because he's in a, a fairly low status job as a nighttime security cop, that me, he may have other struggles going on in his life that require him to do this kind of work for minimum wage that goes to self-esteem and whether or not he's a competent human being and whether he's lovable and all that kind of stuff. So, so the first step is to ignore the words. They're not important. The second is to guess at the emotions. And then the third step is to label back or reflect back his emotional experience. So I would say, sir, you are really angry right now. You are really frustrated. You feel deeply disrespected. You feel like none of us are listening to you. And you are really concerned because you don't think the rules are being followed as they should be. And that is extremely upsetting to you. And if I wanted to go a little further, I would say because it may affect your job and how your boss sees how you're doing your job. And so you are really, really, really angry and frustrated. And then I would stop and I would wait and see what happens. And typically, just by saying that, I would see the following reaction. First, I'd see he would probably respond saying, yeah, you're exactly right, with, in a loud voice. And then the second thing that would happen is he would nod his head. 
The third thing is I would watch for a drop of the shoulders. And the fourth thing is I'd look for a relaxing sigh, like I just, a total release. If I got those things, then I know that I've de-escalated them. And then we can go on and say, well, how do, you, how do you think we should go about solving this problem? And what you did after that was beautiful. You said, hey, you know, we're going across the street for dinner. We're only going to be over there for a half an hour. And would it be okay if we just left the car where you could watch it and protect it for us? Because at this time of night in the city with a lot of people here, we, you know, we just need to have the car protected. And you did that beautifully. So the key is to respond to his emotions, not to his words. Now, if he, came, if he was still angry, he, he probably would be less angry. And I would just repeat it. I'd say, so you're really angry. You're really frustrated. You feel disrespected. You don't feel like anybody's listening to you. And you feel like your authority is being challenged and um, that's upsetting to you and and you want to be respected and you want you want people to listen to you and typically for a security guard that would probably do it and he would then get the get the response that we're looking for the four things the head nod the verbal response dropping of the shoulders and the sigh and it's over with 30 seconds done very cool problem, it, problem solve and move on i can see that your technique, if I could use that word, your method, your process, is to understand and in a way duplicate what the person's doing, sharing or understanding his empathy, his feelings, bringing that to his attention. And that just kind of seems to be what is what it is that makes it kind of just go away and crumble and fall. Right. What Lieberman's study showed us in 2007 is when you use, when people get escalated, like this security guard who's really angry, he gets so his emotional centers are so activated that he can't think anymore. His prefrontal cortex has gone offline, and you, you, the words you described it perfectly. He was going to go loco. I mean, the guy was going crazy. Well, that's how we describe people who are highly emotional because they no longer have any real control over what's going on. They're just in they're just in their old program behaviors, and they've lost the ability to think their way through the problem and solve it. So what happens when we label, it seems that what happens when we label other people's emotions or we, we reflect back their feelings to them is we're literally lending them our prefrontal cortex, the thinking part of our brain that allows them to process their emotional experience much more efficiently because they can't do it themselves. So we're giving them a service that they can't provide for themselves in that moment. And that's what seems to calm them down. And every human brain is hardwired this way. It works with everybody. It's never failed. It's amazing. Doug, this is the process that you use. You, you told the story as well with the husband and wife. This is the right. process that you use when you perform a mediation as a service. That's right. I, in, in, in a mediation, especially where there's really strong feelings, as there almost always is by the time people call me in, um, I am spending most of my time getting people de-escalated and calmed down. And what I found is that over the course of, say, a day-long mediation, I may spend five or six hours getting people calmed down. Once they get calmed down, they feel deeply listened to, they feel validated, they can solve the problems themselves. They don't need me anymore. So and they almost true. always do. It's crazy to watch. So and then true. they say, what did you do? What do we need you for? You didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, why are we paying you? Yeah, why are we paying you? <laughs> you didn't do anything. <laughs> We were fine on our own. No. People do say that. It's pretty funny. But, but that's the key. Most conflict is, is caused by escalating emotions. So if we can nip it in the bud by de-escalating people, um, then we can get to the problem-solving part. And once people are calmed down, they can usually solve their own problems pretty quickly. I will say also this works brilliantly with children. Oh, really? You gotta, 
Two-year-old who's having a tantrum, label the kid's feelings, that child's feelings, and he or she will calm down in seconds. By, the argument is over with. It's amazing. By simply saying to the child, you are angry, you're you being are angry. You're calling, you're basically calling it what it is. Right. And remember, remember that children, their, their emotional centers have not matured yet. So they don't have a clue how to manage their emotional experience. So when we manage it for them, by labeling what they're feeling and reflecting those feelings back to them, it allows them to learn how to process their own emotional experience. And they get rid of all their anxieties around what they're feeling, which accelerates their emotions, and they calm down almost instantly. That is astounding. And I love it. It's, and, cra- it's and crazy this, how we're- this technique is all writ- is all encapsulated in your book, De-Escalate? In That's our- right. Whatever. The, I, sorry, I don't have how to calm an angry person in ninety you. seconds or less. And what I do is I spend the first couple of chapters talking about what we've talked about. I tell the stories that I've explained to you and explain a little bit of the science behind this. And then I start on the the arc of life. And I said, okay, how do we how do we work with with small children, with toddlers, two year olds? And then what do we do with preteens? And then what do we do with the sullen teenagers or the disobedient or disrespectful teenagers? How do we how do we listen to them? How do we listen to teenagers who have misbehaved? And how do we respond to them in a way that's going to teach them and at the same time hold them accountable? How do we do that? And then we go into relationships, dating relationships, marriages, divorces. Then we go to the workplace, go into schools. And then I look at political polarization. How do we deal with the angry political polarization we have all around us right now? And how do we respond to that effectively? This is the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. Just ahead, we're going to find out more from author, mediator, and peacemaker, Douglas Knoll. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Are you the right fit? We're looking for a few good sponsors that are the right fit for our world-class brand, The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. Does your brand fit in with an audience that likes our interviews with Hollywood stars, sports greats, game changers? If so, let's see how we can promote your brand to the best audience to help you grow. Email me at Tony at TonyDurso.com and let's see how we can help. That's Tony at TonyDurso.com. Is it true that a majority of new businesses fail? Check this out. In order to have a successful growing business, there are some vital points that you must know. You must have worked them out thoroughly. They must be synchronized with each other and all employees consultants, and companies that you depend on must know these items and be in agreement with them if your new business is to meet with a high percentage of success. Get it free. The Vision Map. Beat the odds for business success at TonyDurso.com slash vision. Learn how to establish your vision, purpose, long-term objective, and master plan, including strategic and tactical planning. Get the vision map. Beat the odds for business success at TonyDurso.com slash vision. V-I-S-I-O-N. 
Life is complicated and sometimes we all need a little help, but don't have the time for a full hour-long session or don't know who to turn to. That's where BetterHelp comes into play. With BetterHelp, I can get matched with one of over 2,500 licensed and approved counselors and therapists and get help anytime, anywhere, totally private. For a flat weekly fee starting at $35, I can connect with my counselor via text, chat, video conference, or phone, which is great for me because I'm always on the go. And I can go back to previous sessions whenever I want through my secure account from anywhere in the world. It's a great feeling to know that help is there, affordable, private, and convenient to my schedule. We all can use a little help. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash VA health and register for free. You can try it for seven days without being charged on your credit card and get matched with a licensed counselor usually within 24 hours. Get better help today at betterhelp.com forward slash VA health. You're listening to The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso and a special VIP co-host. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyDurso.com. Now, back to The Spotlight. All right, we're back with Tony D'Urso on The Spotlight. Today's show is with author, mediator, and peacemaker Douglas Knoll. He's a Northern California super lawyer and is one of 193 mediators worldwide selected for inclusion in the international who's who of commercial mediators. And he's also a second degree black belt, which has no correlation to mediation, but we will tell some stories about it. All right, back to the chat with Doug. Your book, Deescalate, you're giving that away free. This is great information, very helpful. The world needs it. We need it on many levels of society. And I don't want to be disrespectful, but is that kind of, are you nuts? (laughs) No. I I mean, please understand my silliness. It's like you're giving this away for free? I am I am very blessed to be able to to if if people are willing to pay the seven dollars for shipping and handling, I have the support of some people who really believe in my work and they're willing to buy the book, buy it off of Amazon and ship it to, to people. So anybody who wants to pay seven bucks for shipping and handling will will buy the book and ship it to you. And and you can if you want to do that, you can also go to Amazon and buy it yourself or Barnes and Noble or wherever fine books are sold. The book's gonna be available everywhere next week. Uh, the week of September 12th. Um, but we can, I have somebody who really believes me and really wants to see this book get into the hands of millions. And so if people are interested in that, they can go to my website, um, Doug Noel, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L.com and click on the banner or DouglasNoel.com or Google me and uh, find the, you just go to the sales page and put in your credit card information and we'll put you in the queue. And as soon as the book becomes available on Amazon, we'll ship it out. I love it. All right, the Spotlight audience, you heard it. Please go to DougKnoll.com and get the book. Just pay the shipping and handling and get his book, Deescalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. This technology, this ability, this is an ability. This is like, you know, you see in the movies where the Kung Fu master walks in yeah. and everything calms down. This is yeah. the real stuff, folks. I've done many of these and Doug has it explained beautifully and perfectly. I didn't have it as technically explained in my book, but very good. Please go get this book and help deescalate, but do not necessarily start looking for angry people to deescalate them. 
Because I must admit, there was a time in my life I felt, you know, I don't know what it was I felt, but I felt I could de-escalate any situation. Invincible. And I want. I'm invincible. <laughs> and I wanted. I wanted to go find. I wanted to go find angry people, but then I thought, no, I better not. I just stay away yeah. and just leave it, because you know sometimes people look for action, but yeah. don't try looking for trouble. But just have this, and if it's there, folks, then you can do it and use it. And it's. I know this. I know a lot about this already. Great stuff. Great stuff. All right. And now to the other part of the question that I wanted, the other point I wanted to bring up is on people who are politically polarized, yeah. how the heck do you have a, a a decent conversation with someone like that, Doug? Well, I a couple of things. You can, you can do, it can be done, and I do it, and I teach people how to do it. The first thing is that you have to be willing to listen, and you also have to let go of the idea that you need to be right. Um, because, because again, brain science shows us that when people hold very strong beliefs, whether it's around ideology or politics or religion, if you confront them with information that is true, it's absolutely empirically true, but it contradicts their belief structures, all that will happen is that those belief structures will become more deeply embedded in the brain because dopamine is released to reinforce the belief structures that people already have. That's what we call stubbornness, and now neuroscience explains to us what's going on. It's, it's not that people are being obstinate, it's that the biophysiology of our brain sets up belief structures so that they're very difficult to change um, once they're embedded in the brain. And, if we, and, and we are not only are we resistant to changing our beliefs, we will actually strengthen our beliefs in the face of contradictory contradictory facts that even even of those contradictory facts are empirically true. So the first step in dealing with the political polarized is do not challenge their beliefs, do not try to persuade them, do not argue with them over their beliefs. All you're going to do is get them angry and then you're going to have to use your de-escalation skills and you're going to embed the beliefs even more deeply. So the way I handle the situation is if if I'm for, if it's a confrontational situation, the first thing I'm going to do is de-escalate them, get them calmed down. And then it, if it's appropriate to open up a conversation, I'm going to start with a question like this. Tell me all of your life experiences that have led you to have the beliefs that you have today. So I'm asking for a story. I want to hear their story. How is it that you can't come to believe that you believe what you believe today? And why is this, why, why is this so important to you? And so now I get a whole bunch of information and I start recognizing that there's a lot more between us that's common than there is difference. And these people have life experiences that lead them to have these beliefs. And then once we understand those life experiences, you know, we can understand them better. Then the next question I might ask is, well, how do your beliefs guide you in your everyday decision making and your interactions with people? How do your beliefs act as your compass? And most people have never been asked that question before, so they have to think about it. And so that, and that gets you into a really interesting conversation around how their beliefs actually inform their decision-making. And then the third question I might ask is, okay, so how do you deal with people who have radically different beliefs than you do? How do you treat them? What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? And again, that's not a question that most people are asked, and so they have to think about, well, how do I respond to people? And sometimes it's with anger and frustration, and other times it's, you know, I can tolerate people with different beliefs. Um, and you can just keep asking questions along those lines. What, how as a society should we deal with radically different beliefs in the same society? What, should we quell all beliefs? Should we, I mean, how, should, what do you, how do you think we ought to do that? 
Again, questions that people don't think about that get them thinking. And the whole key to this, you'll notice in all of these questions, is I never once ask them what their belief is, or do I challenge their belief, or do I ask any question that's at all judgmental. All I'm trying to do is ask, what led you to these beliefs? How do these beliefs guide you in life? And then how do, you, how do these beliefs work with you? How do you work with these beliefs in your everyday life and work with people who don't agree with you in life? I can see and how that totally would just take completely down. Completely changes the, the conversation. Yeah, it takes down all the armor and everything. That's right. And all of a sudden you find that you have much more common ground than you ever expected to find. And that, it's amazing how it works. But we have to have, I mean, I hate to say this, but we have to be mature. We have to be the adults in the room. We have to be willing to listen. We, we can't be there looking for our own validation. When you're talking to the politically polarized, somebody there has very different beliefs than you do, you cannot be there and have your own beliefs validated. It's not going to happen. So true. You have, to, you have to want to understand where the other person is coming from. And that's how you have the calm conversation. It takes patience and it takes courage and it takes maturity. You have to focus totally on the other person and That's not right. on your own beliefs, who you are, or what you want. And then by sort of like getting into their universe in a, in a way, you can then understand it and breaks it down. And you actually can turn that angry person or politically polarized person into, a, into an actual friend. I've done it so many times. Absolutely. They're just now my buddy, but they still don't know anything about me. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. In a I way. Mean, and they don't need to because they have a strong – one of the reasons that people hold these strong beliefs – I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on here, so I don't want to overgeneralize or oversimplify. But a lot of people hold on to extremely strong beliefs because they don't have a very strong identity structure. The more complex your identity structure is, the less you're going to – any one belief is going to dominate the way you see the world. And if you have a fairly weak or not a very, a very simple identity structure, then your beliefs become very important to you. And so any challenge to them is I challenging your identity and you, you're going to react unconsciously very violently to that. So, so um, if you have a, a fairly complex identity structure, you don't need validation. If you don't have a complex identity structure, it's a little more simple, then you need more validation because you don't have a lot of identity resource there to work with. And we see conflicts all over the world being driven by this very basic principle. Too many. And, you know, I wanted to ask a couple questions about that particular. One part is peacekeeping, which you say it's like the hardest work anyone can do. Why is that? Well, that's what I tell the inmates. I say you're being called to the hardest work a human being can be asked to do. Because you're you're, you're being asked to step into somebody else's conflict. When, when the only thing that is driving them is vengeance. They just want to, they want revenge. They want to hurt the other person as badly as possible. And they don't care about peace. The last thing they want, they see peace as being weak and kumbaya and BS. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not, and totally ineffective. Yeah, it works for the other guy, but it'll never work for me. And, and you've got to get into that conflict quickly, get people de-escalated, move them into problem-solving mode. And get them to build accountable, resp- morally responsible agreements quickly. And against, that's not what people want to do when they're in conflict. They want to duke it out. And so that's why it's dangerous and difficult work. And so you have to follow the steps and follow the processes because if you do that, it works every time. I mean, rarely do people not reach agreement when they're led properly, when they're guided properly by a peacemaker who knows what he's doing or she's doing, and, and come up with a durable agreement that has accountability and moral responsibility in it. 
This is the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. Just ahead, Doug shares more insights and his contact info. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. The Dream Business community wants to help you with your career and business. Are you ready for accelerated success? Check it out. The Dream Business Community at TonyDURSO.com slash community. Are you the right fit? We're looking for a few good sponsors that are the right fit for our world-class brand, The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. Does your brand fit in with an audience that likes our interviews with Hollywood stars, sports greats, game changers? If so, let's see how we can promote your brand to the best audience to help you grow. Email me at Tony at TonyDURSO.com and let's see how we can help. That's Tony at TonyDURSO.com. Is it true that a majority of new businesses fail? Check this out. In order to have a successful growing business, there are some vital points that you must know. You must have worked them out thoroughly. They must be synchronized with each other and all employees consultants, and companies that you depend on must know these items and be in agreement with them if your new business is to meet with a high percentage of success. Get it free. The Vision Map. Beat the odds for business success at TonyDURSO.com slash vision. Learn how to establish your vision, purpose, long-term objective, and master plan, including strategic and tactical planning. Get the vision map. Beat the odds for business success at TonyDURSO.com slash vision. V-I-S-I-O-N. You're listening to The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso and a special VIP co-host. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyDURSO.com. Now, back to the Spotlight. All right, we're back with Tony D'Urso on the Spotlight. Today's show is with author, mediator, and peacemaker, Douglas Knoll. He was honored as California Lawyer Magazine Attorney of the Year in 2012, and he's a Purpose Prize Fellow. All right, now back to the chat with Doug. You have a program I'm looking for, the Prison of Peace Project. Right. Could That's you tell the prison us? project. Right. Yeah. That's the prison project that I was talking about earlier. Um, and people can find out about that. The website is prisonofpeace.org. And it was founded by Laurel Coffer and myself in 2000. Well, we started training in 2010, so but it really started with a letter in 2009. And... It, in that project, we train inmates, most almost always lifers and long-termers, how to be peacemakers and mediators and trainers within their prison environments. So it takes about three and a half years to embed the project fully into a prison. But when it's done, we have typically in a prison of 3,000 inmates, we'll have um, probably have a couple of hundred mediators and we'll have 30 or 40 trainers. And 
they then will spend their lives training other inmates how to be peacemakers and mediators. And so like our tagline is from serving a life sentence to living a life of service. I like that. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Now, you talk also about mediating evil and violence. Now, that's <laughs> something people love to watch on the movies and on television, yeah. Yeah. They, but they don't like to be involved in. However, they seem to dramatize it a bit in their lives. It's kind of, right. kind of gone crazy. Let's talk about that. How, do you, how would you mediate something like that, please? Well, I guess the first, the first question you have to ask yourself if you're sitting in my chair as a mediator is what is evil? And how do we define evil? Because a lot of times people will claim another person or group is evil just because they're different, not because they've done anything morally reprehensible. So normally evil has to have some component of moral reprehensibility about it. And even then, it's relative. One person, you've heard the phrase, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. So what, what we might think, what I might think is morally reprehensible, another culture or another group might think is incredibly courageous and brave. Um, so that's how you begin to work with evil is you've got to understand that there are different perspectives, that radically different perspectives that are, that are out there. And the job in peacemaking and mediation is not to judge whether something is morally right or wrong because it, that judgment is going to vary depending upon culture and context. What's important is to get the stories out there, get people to start telling stories about who they are, how they came to their beliefs, how, why they acted the way they did, and then have them listen, if they can, to other people who talk about how the violence, for example, maybe it's a genocide, maybe it's a murder, who knows what it is, something violent, how that has deeply affected them personally. And what's really interesting is that when people who've engaged in what we might consider to be morally reprehensible behavior, listen to the effect that it ha has had on other people, for the first time they have to humanize the people who have been victimized. And that is a profoundly transformative event because for the first time they realize that this just wasn't some abstract ideology or some abstract idea that was what that resulted in this behavior it had severe consequences on real human beings who are sitting across the table from me and oftentimes you can get some pretty significant changes where you don't get the change is in the rare circumstances where you've got people who are um have disorders that just are not amenable to this process and the primary amongst those is the uh over maladaptive narcissist that personality disorder is extremely difficult to work with and if you've got that, if you've got that, I mean, we're not, I'm not trained clinically to diagnose that, but you can tell that you've got somebody who's so badly narcissistic that they just take no responsibility for anything. That's when you know you've got, a, you've got some real problems. Well, but that's very of, interesting, Doug. Um, for our audience, could you kind of break that down just a little bit more, perhaps in layman terms? what that particular type of personality is so, like? So, so a, a, a person who we might call uh, uh, an overt, maladapted narcissist. What, what I mean by that, first of all, narcissism, narcissism is essential. We're all narcissistic to a certain degree or we wouldn't be healthy. So we all have to be narcissistic. But the key words are overt, which means they're narcissistic all the time to everybody, and it's maladaptive. And what maladaptive means is it's not working. It's working, maybe it's working for the narcissist, but it's not working for anybody else. This is the kind of person for whom there are no rules. 
They have they 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 lack. They don't care about empathy. They don't care about what other people think of them. All they do is think about themselves, and all they're interested in is being is being praised by others. And anybody who disagrees with them is evil, and anybody who praises them is good. And they have no boundaries. You can you can get them to agree to something, but they will immediately break the rules and they'll break the agreement as soon as they believe that it's in their best interest to do so. They just don't care unless the consequences are so severe that that allows them to process the information that the consequences are too severe. And that's really the only way you can deal with somebody like this is to put boundaries up that are, that are bright line boundaries with very deep consequences. Um, and that's the only way you can, you got to put them in the pasture and put up a big fence uh, because otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, otherwise there's nothing you can really do with them. And they're difficult, difficult people to deal with. I have only run across a couple in my, in my career and they, they were difficult. I got they, you. Now, it seems like, first of all, the, the underlying foundation of pretty much everything that we've discussed is based upon the ability to, of, to communicate and actually drilling down below that is to listen, to really Correct. understand and listen what the other person is going through and duplicating that or sharing that back with them. That seems to be an underlying premise. Absolutely. Now, foundational. It's correct. foundational. Now for, everything else. Okay, exactly. And for this person that is so stuck into thinking of themselves, the process of listening to them and 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 so forth, that doesn't seem to work on, on them so it doesn't well? Seem to, it does not seem to work as well. It's amazing. It'll work with manic depressives. It'll work with um, multiple personality disorders. Um, it'll work with uh, a personality disorder that's known as hysteric. Uh, but it will not work very well with an over-maladaptive narcissist. It's funny how that is. There's something in the brain. The, re the reason I think based on my reading, and, and I'm not an expert in this, so I would defer to psychologists and psychiatrists and people who study this sort of thing uh, much deeper than I do, is that uh, the narcissist is somebody who's been deeply traumatized. and That's my guess. And they've been traumatized perhaps as a child, and the trauma is so deep that the only way that they can manage the trauma is by, by adopting this very, very narcissistic self-absorbed personality that um, makes that makes life difficult for everybody around them. Absolutely. It, that person has to have gone through a, some significant trauma. I think so. It's the only so. way. I think right. so. Completely, I don't think we're born this way. Wholeheartedly. So. Absolutely yeah. not. Well, very good. It's been quite an interview talking about this. I loved it so far. Now, your site, can people get a hold of you at DougNoll.com if they want to communicate with you in yeah, addition to I getting can, your free I'm book? To, yeah, I'm, I'm a one-man shop, so I don't have an army of people working for me. But if people want to email me, they can just email me at Doug at DougNoll.com. There's a contact form on the website. I am not convinced that, that contact form is sending me all the emails that are, people are putting in. So if, if people have a question, uh, they're more than welcome to email me and uh, Time, time permitting, I'll, I'll reply back and let them know what I think. Doug at DougNoll.com. And the website, again, is DougNoll.com. You can learn all about my work, my teaching, my books. And you can get to the, get to the free book offer, too, through the, through the website. Sounds good. Sounds good. I think we've covered everything. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our audience before no, I we would conclude? Just, I, would, I would say this. I would say that, that you can end the fighting in your life, whether it's in your family, your workplace, in your, in your neighborhoods, in your communities, wherever you are, 
it is possible to end all the fighting and arguing forever if you are willing to take the time to learn these three simple steps that I talk about and apply them in your everyday life. And my belief, I can't do this by myself, but I believe that if I could get 10,000 or 100,000 people using these skills on a daily basis, our whole society would change for the better. I've seen it happen in prisons. I've seen violent prisons go to peace in 18 months. As, as this virus spreads within the prison. And there's no reason why it can't do that throughout our whole society. If we can just get a sufficient group of people practicing these skills, teaching them to their children, and using them on a daily basis. So that's really what I'm all about right now, is getting these skills out there for people to start playing with. I love that purpose, Doug. It is sky high in our society, but it's noble, it's valid, it's needed. And I encourage everyone to find out more about this check out your check out your free book before you before you decide to start charging for it (laughs) (laughs) so everyone right once again go to doug noll n-o-l-l dot com communicate with doug get his book and it's such an amazing interview with author mediator and peacemaker douglas noll thank you so much doug thanks for sharing with us great interview i love it i love talking about this Thanks, Tony. I really appreciated it. Well, great. And to our Spotlight audience, thanks again. It's our honor to have you listen. All right. Keep your focus on success, and we'll see you next on the Spotlight. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso and his special VIP co-host. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, enjoy the weekend.